There were times in my life when I knew I was in trouble. And then there were other times that I knew I was in capital T, capital R, capital O, capital U, capital B, capital L, capital E. Trouble. I knew things were not going well. You know, when my mom would tell me, to stop something, no big deal, you know, I knew everything would be okay as long as I stopped or whatever it was, everything would be all right. If my mom said, I've already told you to stop, well, things were beginning to escalate at that point. Uh, that meant that she had actually told me this before and apparently I had not stopped and continuing to do so would be at my peril. But when my mom said, just wait till your dad gets home. Then I knew things had escalated to DEFCON 1. Our military has five levels of alert. DEFCON 1 is the absolute highest. It means we are just short of nuclear war. Waiting for my dad to get home exceeded that by about 100%, at least in my world. What Jesus describes in this passage of Scripture we're going to read this morning, spiritually speaking, is DEFCON 1. Sometimes called the unpardonable sin, sometimes called the unforgivable sin. It is very, very important that we understand what this passage says, but also what it does not say. Let's take a look at the passage in question. It's in Mark chapter 3, verse 28, and we'll look at some verses around that here in just a moment. But in verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Wow. What is Jesus talking about in this passage? This is serious. This is one we need to understand. Now first, let's take a look at the background and the context of this passage and see what it definitely does not say. First, a little context. Jesus' ministry here in the Gospel of Mark has just begun, and word is spreading quickly about his teachings, and especially about his miracles. Many have been healed, including a man with leprosy, a paralytic, and many others up to this point. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus heals a man possessed by an evil spirit. The story is given there, verse 25. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, you can imagine how well that went over with the religious types of the day. Coupled with the fact that Jesus kept saying that he could forgive sins, they were becoming very troubled by all the crowds he was drawing. And now this casting out demons stuff really got under their skin. 
Already they had been trying to find a way to get rid of Jesus, according to verse 6 in chapter 3. Their, their hatred of him grew so deep, so quickly, that they were already, this early in his ministry, trying to find a way to kill him. But the crowds just kept coming. The sick and the hurting sought Jesus out wherever he went, hoping that he might even just touch them and they might find healing. During this time as well, Jesus called his 12 disciples and his ministry begins in earnest, which brings us to the passage that we just read a moment ago. In Mark chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus goes to visit a house, a home. And the crowds are so great, he's not even able to spend time with this family. He's not even able to eat with them. Those closest to him become very concerned that maybe things have gotten off the rails with Jesus' ministry. Verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Now, some translations, as here in the New International Version that I've read this morning, it describes this group of people as his family. Others translate the phrase as his own people, and then others, like the King James Version, describe it as his friends. There's different ways to to take the, the specific words that are given in the original language. But these were folks that, at least on the surface, it seems, should have been on his side. They were his family, his friends, his closest associates. And they thought he was going crazy. In verse 21, they decide, you know, we've got to go talk to him. We've we got to get him out of this. He, he's just lost it. Now, even though they were misguided, at least his family wanted to help him. The religious leaders, on the other hand, had something very different in mind. They accused Jesus of something far more sinister in verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. Now, if this seems to come from left field, that's because it does come out of left field. Their accusation that Jesus is using the power of Satan to cast out demons doesn't make any sense. Something that Jesus points out to them in verse 23. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Now, from that obvious truth that the accusation they were making that he was casting out demons through the power of demons didn't make any sense. Jesus moves from that obvious to something that's far more important. And this is the context in which Jesus makes the statement that we started out reading a moment ago in verse 28. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, according to verse 30, Jesus' statement was in response to the accusation that the religious leaders had made against him that somehow he was casting out these evil spirits because he himself had an evil spirit. 
But the religious leaders had made a far deeper mistake than what they realized. Now, before we get to what that mistake was, let's deal with something that this passage does not mean. Through the years, this passage, or specifically what is often called the unpardonable or unforgivable sin, it has been variously identified with several different specific sins. Sins like suicide or adultery or murder or those really, really bad sins. That's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. That would negate what Jesus had just said in verse 28, that all the sins and blasphemies of me will be forgiven them. Here's a problem. Sometimes Christians, believers, those who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, sometimes they've become worried, even extremely so, that somewhere along the line they may have committed the unpardonable sin. Here's the thing. The fact that they are concerned about having committed that sin is evidence that they have not committed that sin. Or or to say it another way, if you're worried you've committed the unpardonable sin, you can know that you haven't. The unpardonable sin is not some specific act. It goes much deeper than that. But here's the thing you need to know at this point. The cleansing power of Jesus' forgiveness is broad and deep. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we give sin more power than it actually has. Now don't get me wrong. Sin separates us from the love of God. Sin creates a debt we cannot pay. Sin creates a deep divide between us and our Creator that on our own we cannot cross. But folks, Jesus' love is deeper still. When He died on the cross, He paid the price for all our sin. He took all of our guilt all of our shame, completely. Yet some believers make the mistake of trying to take some of that guilt and shame back. They convince themselves that their sin, whatever it was that they did in their past that they're ashamed of or that they feel bad about, they convince themselves that it was so bad and so deep that Jesus can't forgive it. Don't believe that lie. Because that's exactly what it is. That is a deception straight from Satan. Here's what he's doing. What Satan cannot do, he can't take you out of God's hand. Once you've given Christ your heart as Lord and Savior, you're in the hand of God. That's how the Bible describes it. 
And there's nobody stronger than God. Nobody can reach into God's hand and pull you out. You can't fall out of God's hand. God is holding on to you. You're not hanging on to God. God's holding on to you and there's nobody stronger than him. That grip can't be broken and Satan knows that. He knows he can't take you out of God's hands. He knows he can't keep you out of heaven. But what he can do is he can keep you from serving God right now. And so what he wants you to believe is that whatever the sin is that you have in your life, even though you've confessed it, even though you've asked God to forgive you, but you're still holding back some of that shame and some of that guilt, and Satan is convincing you, well, you know what you did. So you certainly can't serve Jesus. You know what you did. You can't go tell people about the Savior because they know what you did too. They're not going to listen to you. And Satan begins to plant that lie in our heart. And all of a sudden, we begin to think, you know what? I just can't do what God's telling me I need to do. Because I've got this in my life. And yes, I confessed it. I gave it over to the Savior, but I've still got this in my life. Well, here's the thing, folks. If you've confessed it to the Savior, if you've gone to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, here's what I did. I'm ashamed of it. I, didn't, I don't want that in my life. Please forgive me. Cleanse me. Then it's not in your life anymore. Amen. Christ has cleansed it away. In fact, the Bible says He's put it as far as the east is from the west. He remembers your sin no more. And if God doesn't remember it, you shouldn't be dwelling on it. Don't believe the lie that you've committed some sin in your past that God can't cleanse. That's not what Jesus is saying here. So what is Jesus describing here? Well, let's get back to the context of where the scripture comes. The teachers of the law had accused Jesus of being in league with Satan, of casting out demons through the power of demons. It's obvious what a foolish accusation that was, but it actually goes deeper than what they intended it to be. What the religious leaders intended was a religious insult of Christ. They're in front of the crowds. They wanted to make him look bad in front of all these people that were following him. And so they make this, this personal insult that they think will cause people to question the teachings of Jesus. But it goes deeper than just a personal insult. These were men who knew the Scripture. In fact, it was their role to interpret the Scripture for the people. They knew the history. They knew the prophecy. If anyone should have recognized who Jesus was, it should have been them. Instead, they were more concerned about their own position in society than they were about meeting the Messiah. It leads them to make this ridiculous charge that he's in league with Satan. That's what open, unrepentant opposition to the work of God does. It leads to some ridiculous conclusions. Ultimately, it leads us to think we don't need Christ at all. The Holy Spirit is focused on one thing in our world. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing right now, right here, and around our globe. 
the Holy Spirit is seeking to lead men and women, boys and girls, to an understanding of our need for the Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. It is pointing people to Christ. The Holy Spirit's work is focused on that one task, leading us to our understanding of our need for Jesus. If you reject that, then there is no hope. That's what Jesus is describing when he talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy is a word that describes an open hostility, an absolute rejection. In this case, it is a rejection of the saving grace of God. And if you reject the saving grace of God that is only available through Jesus Christ, then there is no hope. I can remember driving from Texas into New Mexico and seeing a sign on a billboard proclaiming, Last gas for 100 miles. And they weren't kidding. If you didn't have enough gas to make it another 100 miles... You were going to be walking in the desert if you didn't stop and get some at that gas station. So I stopped. Spiritually speaking, Jesus is making a similar but far more important statement in this passage. It's not our last chance for 100 miles. It's our last chance, period. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth to us. It brings us to an understanding of our need for the Savior. It points us to the grace that is found only in Jesus. If we reject that, there is no plan B. There's not another exit. There is no other option. There's only Jesus. Folks, if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is pulling you to Christ and you've been fighting that, you've been pushing that away, but you came here this morning not even knowing why you were coming here, if the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Jesus, don't reject that. It's your only hope. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to share Christ with a neighbor, with a friend, a co-worker, a schoolmate, God's been putting someone on your heart. and You know what he's saying. He's saying, go talk to him about me. Go share the good news with them. Don't put it off. Jesus is their only hope. We need to realize how serious this is. Now, realize what it's not. Don't believe the lie of Satan that there's something in your past that's been keeping you from doing what God wants you to do. It is time to do what God's done. God's forgotten it. It's time for you to forget it too. And move forward in the grace of Jesus Christ that he's given to you. But if the Holy Spirit is calling you to Jesus, if there's never been a time that you personally have received him as your Lord and Savior, if there's never been a time that you've come to Christ admitting your need, Believing that Jesus and Jesus alone is God's Son, that He's the only answer, and confessing your faith in Him, then today is the day. Don't put it off for another day. He is our only hope. Heavenly Father, help us this morning. Help us understand this. 
Help us understand what it's not. God, Satan uses all kinds of lies, and this is a big one. He convinces us that we've got something in our past that will keep us from glorifying you. We've got something in our past that will keep us from being effective in your ministry. God, don't let us believe that anymore. Today, just let us put that lie to rest right here and right now. Let us bury it right here at this altar. God, you've forgiven our sin. You have cleansed us from our sin. It is time for us to forget our sin and move forward in your glory and in your grace to serve you. And God, I pray if there's even one person here today that does not know you as their Savior and Lord, that today would be the day that they would make that commitment of their life to you, that they would find in you the forgiveness and everlasting life that only Jesus can bring. God, we pray for you to work in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen.